I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. A video found in an abandoned building tells the story of three film students, Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard and Michael C. Williams, who embarked on an adventure travelling to a small town to document the story of the Blair Witch, a local legend of missing children and murder. Over many days, the students interviewed townsfolk the police and university professors to gather clues about the truth behind the legend. Their project takes a mysterious and deadly turn when the students fail to return from their fact-finding mission, never to be seen again. Hi, I'm Anne. And I'm Renata. And we welcome you to this week's episode of True Hauntings. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Well, we have some exciting news to announce. Well, it's not our news, but it's a big thing. It's a worldwide thing. It's a big thing. It's a worldwide thing, and it is under the banner of paranormal unity. Oh, geez, that word gets bandied around a lot, doesn't it? But, but I have to say this is the sixth year yeah. that the world world's largest ghost hunt has been held. We have, have been a part of the world's largest ghost hunt ever since it began. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of being a part of it. So guess what, everyone? It's the world's largest <laughs> ghost hunt, as Renata just announces it before we get to an announcement. Good on you, Renata. Um, and it is one of those things that brings people from the paranormal community all over the world together. And it and really does. It does. And from those first first years where 
the difficulty of trying to work out how to bring people from all over the world into one day of ghost hunting where we are all hunting at the same time. We are all asking the same questions. We are all trying to get to this one pivotal point, which I think is such an awesome idea. Well, the energy, just the energy behind everyone asking the same question at the same time. When they first started off, that's what they did. Yes. And it has had its ups and downs. We have had difficulties with trying to work at the same time. Originally, it was kind of in this certain hour that everyone was going to do this Mm -hmm. and that turned out to be almost impossible because... But people did it. People did it. Even if it was in the middle of the night, they were doing it. It was based on American time because Mm -hmm. that's where the the people who were that were organising it Mm -hmm. and the bulk of the teams were coming from America. So they were, I think they were making it like 8pm or 10pm or something like that in America. So it didn't work out too bad for us because that meant Sunday morning for us. Mm -hmm. But for some of the poor people in Europe... It meant 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., yes, so they true. struggled. That's, that's <laughs> true. Then we had a whole kind of debacle with headquarters and technology. Yeah, because what they were trying to do was cross live from people all around the world, and they did manage to do it, and we made it to some of the, mm-hmm. the live feeds so they could show what was happening. Now, our very first time, now where were we the first time? Was it Maitland? I think it was. Yeah, because I remember we were coming up. We had to guess what the word was because they had some mediums that were projecting a word out to the ether. Yes, yes, that's true. And we had to come up with a word and none of us got it. But I actually said at one stage, I think it's something to do with blue. Mm -hmm. And the word I think was cerulean Mm -hmm. or something like that. So I was a little bit chuffed with myself. (laughs) Yes, as as you should (laughs) be. I'll take a moment. But then they had three questions and you'd have to ask the questions. And we had bizarre results with the questions over the years, didn't we? Yes. But we found that when we collated evidence with other groups from Australia, they were having pretty much the same results. Similar. So very interesting. This has been trial and error for the groups that have been pushing this through. And this year it's being run by the Spirit Realm Network, which is sort of the overarching body that is going to be looking after everything. And they're attempting to bring even more paranormal groups from all over the world to join in. And this year we're going to be part of the Australian contingent and hopefully do ourselves proud there with all the rest of the Aussie teams. Mm -hmm. And look, it is something that gets the word out worldwide regarding the teams that are working in the paranormal field, but more importantly, it is for the preservation of historic and heritage sites because each team is going to be selling tickets and raising money for the sites that they work with. And this is supremely important because if the sites cannot financially keep going through these tough times, they will close and ghost hunters just like us will have nowhere to hunt. Yeah, it's over Red Rover. So this is really important and it's important to keep the focus on these beautiful heritage homes that open up to 
people like us. Mm-hmm. And after all, what we are trying to do is tell the story of history. We're just doing it in a slightly different way. Well, we're asking from the source, hopefully. That's right. <laughs> but that's what we're doing. So, guys, keep tuned in for more to come. And uh, we, we're going on as Anne and Renata. Yes, yes it we will are. be Anne and Renata yep. Frightfully Good this year. Yep. Whoa, we've been Newcastle Ghost Tours up until then and yeah. I think Oz Paratech was listed as well. So now we're going to go as Anne and Renata. Yep. And we're going to do our bit to support our heritage here in Australia. Now, on with today's show. Breakdowns. Exhaustion. A giant circle. We hiked 11 hours today in a giant circle. We have no food. Hungry. Despairing. (sighs) Exhausted. Hating and loving each other extremely and alternatively all day long. About to go to sleep now. Sure. After what happened last night, those children's voices, fear and exhaustion. Which one will win? I'm praying for exhaustion. Whatever comes, comes. We sleep, it wakes us. It doesn't seem to be much sense in keeping watch, except that one of us is always conscious and shitting our pants. It is cold. At least we're dry from the calves up anyway. Horrible hike through a marsh today. I'm evading the subject of my fear. I'm trying desperately to hold my shit together while Josh and Mike fall apart. As long as I I keep shooting, I feel like all of this has a purpose. Maybe not at the moment, but eventually. Shooting is the only way to make this situation good for something as soon as we get out of here. We will get out of here. I still can't figure out how we hiked in a circle today. I had the compass out all day. All three of us checked it every five minutes. We were going south all day. How are we going to get out of here if we keep hiking in circles? What is plan B? I am on my last pair of dry socks. I am hungry. I have been wearing the same panties since we left. When is I supposed to change them? When do I have two seconds to myself when I'm not following or chasing someone? I want to go home be people looking for us. At the very least, people would be wondering what happened to the borrowed equipment. Should we wait for them to find us? Which berries are edible and and which ones are poisonous? Will having a campfire draw the attention of whatever or whoever is following us? Or will it help people looking for us to help us find us? Either way, it makes us obvious. Is that what we want? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know! 
Josh is gone. It's Mike and I now. Alone. I question why I continue to film. It seems sick almost. Who will see this footage? Will I? Still have plenty of battery power. I've been carrying it on my back for a week now, so might as well use it. I am scared. I don't know what is after us. We are, of course, talking about the story of the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And the soundscape came from the diary of, of Heather. Heather. Mm. Now, the diary was found and Heather's diary was handwritten. And if anyone looks hard enough on the internet, you'll find a picture of Heather's diary and it is all sort of stained and wet, soaked, like it was found in the forest. Found in the forest. And it's all available there online, which is the intriguing thing about this story. And... Maybe many of our listeners are too young to remember the Blair Witch movie when because it came it out. an anniversary, didn't it, recently? Mm. It's it's old yeah. in, com- in comparison. It makes me feel old when they say it's 20 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> but it is one of those intriguing, intriguing stories that sounds so good that it must be true because the work done to pull together the pieces of it is astounding. Yes. And I'm going to just go into the mythology behind the Blair Witch herself because there is a long history associated with the alleged witch that lives in this forest. What, surely it's a true story, Renata. Yes. Not alleged. Uh, I'll just put alleged. Okay. I'll put alleged. <laughs> and, of course, even though she goes back to the 1700s and, and no longer exists in a living form, it is all about the legend of her haunting the forest and haunting the small township of Blair. So let's let's go back into the mythology and set the scene of why these kids went into the forest and were searching for evidence of the story. Right. So we go to the township of Blair that was located in north central Maryland, about two hours from Washington, DC. And it starts in February 1780. What the kids went into the forest in 1785? No, no. no. This is this is the the backstory, oh, backstory. of the whole legend. Oh, I need more coffee today. Yeah. So February 1785, several children accuse Ellie Kedward of luring them into her home to draw blood from them. Ooh. Kedward is found guilty of witchcraft, banished from the village during a particularly harsh winter and presumed dead. No, it's interesting they only banished her. You'd think they'd... Yeah, string her up. Yeah, burn her at the stake. Mm-hmm. So in November 1786, by midwinter, all the Kedwards' accusers, along with half of the town's children, vanish. So Sounds the, a bit like a Pied Piper. Mm, the township fears a curse and... The townspeople flee Blair and vow never to utter 
Ellie Kedwood's name again. You've just done it. We're doomed. Ellie Kedwood. Ellie Kedwood. Ellie Kedwood. Oh, you've done it three times. I know. We, we, could, gonna... we could start something oh, here, could no. we? Then we have November 1809 and the Blair Witch Cult is published. So this is a rare book, commonly considered fiction, and it tells the story of an entire town being cursed by an outcast witch. Right. Fits. Okay. And in 1824, Burkittsville is founded on the Blair site. So they want to remove the name of Blair completely. They, mm-hmm. they don't want any association Let's with pretend it never existed. the Blair Witch. And so they renamed the township Burkittsville. In August 1825, 11 witnesses testified to seeing a pale woman's hand reach up and pull 10-year-old Eileen Treacle into Tappy East Creek. Oh, sorry, Eileen Treacle? Eileen Treacle. Okay. Her body is never recovered and for 13 days after the drowning, the creek is clogged with oily bundles of sticks. <gasps> sticks. That's important, isn't it? It is. March 1886. Eight-year-old Robin Weaver is reported missing and search parties are dispatched. Although Weaver returns, one of the search parties does not. Their bodies are found weeks later at Coffin Rock, tied together at the arms and legs and completely disemboweled. Ooh, someone's making sausages from intestines. Renata's rolling her eyes at me right now. She just doesn't know what to say with that. November 1940 to May 1941, starting with Emily Hollands, a total of six children are abducted from the area surrounding Burkittsville, Maryland. So it's still the kiddies going missing. Mm-hmm. On May 25th, 1941, an oh, old... 1940s now, okay, yeah. 1940s, an old hermit named Rustin Parr walks into a local market and tells the people that he is finally finished. Now, after police hike for four hours to his secluded house in the woods, they find the bodies of the seven missing children in the cellar. Each cellar. Why is it always the cellar? Yeah, don't go down the cellar. That's darkest, dampest place. But you know what? I I have a little dream board where I want to buy a house for the cellar because I want to put a seance parlor down there. (laughs) You're weird. I know, but you'd go, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So each child has been ritualistically murdered and disemboweled. Pa admits to everything in detail and he tells authorities that he did it for an old woman ghost who occupied the woods <laughs> near his house. Was her name Renata? Oh. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, it was Ellie, 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 I've forgotten already. Ellie Kedwood. Kedwood. Ellie Kedwood. Right. So he's, quick, he's quickly convicted and hanged. Now, remember, they didn't hang Ellie Kedwood, but they hung Rustin Parr. Well, they, they just said he did it. He said that he did it for he an did. old woman, he old did. witch. Mm-hmm. So October 20th, 1994, so we've skipped up again, Montgomery College students Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard and Michael Williams arrive in Burkittsville to interview locals about the legend of the Blair Witch for a class project. Heather interviews Mary Brown, an old and quite insane woman who has lived in the area all her life. Mary claims to have seen the Blair Witch one day near Tappy Creek in the form of a hairy, half-human, half-animal beast. Oh, it's definitely not you then because you're you're quite well-groomed. Thank you. October the 21st, 1994. 
Yeah, I'm just bypassing that. Yep. In the early morning, Heather interviews two fishermen who tell the filmmakers that Coffin Creek is less than 20 minutes from town and easily accessible by an old logging trail. So the filmmakers hike into the Black Hills forest shortly afterwards and are never seen again. Dun, dun. October the 25th, so four days after these three young kids go into the forest, the first APB is issued. Mm-hmm. So they go out searching and Josh's car is found later in the day parked on Black Rock Road. The next day, the Maryland State Police launch their search of the Black Hills area. An operation lasts 10 days and includes up to 100 men aided with dogs, helicopters and even a flyover by the Department of Defence satellite. November the 5th, 1994, so October the 25th it started, so 10 days they've been searching. Mm -hmm. The search is called off after 33 Thousand man hours failed to find a trace of the filmmakers or any of their gear. Yep. Now I just want everyone to remember that. How many hours was it? Thirty-three thousand. Right. Okay. So because I've got a little point about that later on. Mm-hmm. Go on. Heather's mother, Angie Donahue, begins an exhaustive personal search for her daughter and her two companions. In June the next year, the case is declared inactive and unsolved. And then in October the same year, students from the University of Maryland's Anthropology Department discover a duffel bag containing fill cans, DAT tapes, video cassettes, a Hi8 video camera, Heather's journal and a CP16 film camera buried under the foundation of a 100-year-old cabin. When the evidence is examined, Burkittsville Sheriff Ron Cravens announced that the 11 rolls of black and white film and 10... HA18 videotapes are indeed the property of Heather Donahue and her crew. Okay. Now, there's an interesting point about that. Mm-hmm. Where they find the duffel bag mm-hmm. is under the foundations of this abandoned cottage. Right. And they say that there is absolutely no evidence of how that duffel bag could have got to that point without literally being levitated into that spot because there is no evidence of pushing, pulling. Well, there goes my whole point I was going to make. Any any, any movement. I was going to say, how is it that 33,000 hours or whatever it was of professional searches not able to find anything but a pack of uni students find it straight away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and how did they know to look under the foundations of a house? Anyway, keep going. <sighs> Phil is a plot hole there. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. December 15th, 1995, after an initial study of the bag's contents selected, pieces of film footage are shown to the families. According to Angie Donahue, there are several unusual events but nothing conclusive. The families question the thoroughness of the analysis and demand another look. In February 1996, the families are shown a second group of clips that local law enforcement officials consider to be fake. Now, outraged, Mrs Donoghue goes public with her criticism and Sheriff Cravens restricts all access to the evidence, a restriction that two lawsuits fail to lift. In March, 
The Sheriff's Department announces that the evidence is inconclusive and the case is once again declared inactive and unsolved. The footage is to be released to the families when the legal limit of its classification runs out on October the 16th, 1997. And the last bit of this tale says, in October the 16th, 1997, the found footage of their children's last days is turned over to the families of Heather Donahue, Joshua Leonard and Michael Williams. Angie Donahue contacts Haxon Films to examine the footage and piece together the events of October 20th to 28th, 1994. And that's what became... The Blair Witch Project, is that correct? The movie. That's what becomes the movie. This this found footage is what becomes the movie of the Blair Witch Project. And I remember seeing the advertising for this and it was pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It was pretty scary. It's very, very badly filmed. Mm-hmm. So it jumps all over the place. It's done as someone would do if they were in extreme terror. So the Blair Witch Project movie that came from this piece of information that we've just just been through is about three students who go to Burkittsville, Maryland to make a documentary on the Blair Witch legend. The director is Heather Donahue and her main cameraman is Joshua Leonard and Michael Williams, who is the sound crew. Their students... And they've gone in to do a project and the three go missing. But later, a year or so later, their footage is found in a bag which inexplicably is buried or lies under, I won't say buried because it actually lies under an abandoned 100-year-old house because there's actually allegedly a layer of ash on top of the dirt and then the bag is found on top of that ash. Yeah, so this legend is about the Blair Witch, which is a ghost whose name is Ellie Kedward from the 1700s, and she allegedly would snaffle children from the local district and drain them of blood. Now, when they catch her and find her guilty of witchcraft and banish her out of the village into the harsh winter, she allegedly dies and all the accusers along with half of the town's children vanish. I'm not going to tell you too much more about the whole story because the whole story about the movie is them trying to get out of the forest and that allegedly something is chasing them. We never really get to see what is chasing them. All we get to see is the story of how the relationship between the three really just disintegrates with the fear that they are going through. And, of course, at the end all you see is the camera being dropped finally and just a few seconds of this dark, crazy footage where everything goes quiet because it's Heather right at the end. Um, oh, Heather's left by herself at yep, the end. Yep. Oh, she's what? hysterical. The, the most vulnerable mm-hmm. ones left at the end. Yeah, she's hysterical. The camera gets knocked out of her hands. Everything goes very, very quiet. Uh, the film runs for just a few more seconds and then it just dies. So do you never see the witch? No. You never see the creature? No. No. Hmm. You, you, it's always only alluded to. 
and you have these bits and pieces of of things. So when you kind of mentioned the sticks, the sticks are really important because yes. there are little stick figurey things, mm. little symbols that are found through the forest and everything. And so this kind of all leads up to this tension and trauma with regard to this as being genuine absolutely genuine. Oh, it to, is, isn't it? To the point where, yeah, people go in search for the facts. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to throw to you because you're you're the one that's picked through all of this and actually has worked out where all of this story now joins up and, yeah. and creates this amazing mythology. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow, the Blair Witch and all the history and everything that's behind it and diaries and and almost sounds like a grimoire as well. And do you know what? Yeah. It's all fake. The whole thing is faked, but it is one of the cleverest fakes that has ever been constructed. It's a classic fake. Now, I think the whole movie cost them something like $750,000 to make. Initially, it was much less than that. I think after it got picked up by a production company, it probably got spit and polish put on it to make it even better. But wow. And a lot of the success of this movie comes down to a lady called Julia Fair. Mm -hmm. Now, she created 
virtually an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. She's gone in and into the internet. Now, they couldn't do this today because today people could easily search and find that this is not true. 20 years ago, yes, the internet was there, but it's nowhere near as sophisticated mm-hmm. as what it is now. So this lady, Julia Fair, is now lecturing on how to create fake history for fake documentaries. <laughs> She's that good. So she should because this is awesome. It's awesome. It is shot like a film school documentary and it costs them about $35,000 to start with, okay? okay? But before the movie even hit the screen, they'd had uh, 2 million hits on their website Mm. because it started to leak out Mm -hmm. that these students had gone missing to the point that when the movie was announced, the actual actors involved in it, their IMDb, which is the international database for movies and whatever it is, they put them up as deceased. Oh, wow. They actually marked them as deceased. And their parents started to get condolence phone calls and cards that their children had gone missing, presumed dead. That's how convincing she was. Where did these kids go while all of this was going on? Where did they hide? I suppose it's a bit like what they do with Big Brother and those reality TV shows is that they go into hiding until a certain period of time has passed and then they can come back out. But I've actually got some information on that. But let me go into just the how this was all set up. Right, yep. So I, what I've done is I've got the timeline here. So the, the one of the things that you mentioned was the Blair Witch cult Uh, the rare book. Yes. All right. The Historical Society at Burkittsville has had, now this is when I read this article because we reported on this last year or the year before on the ABC of Paranormal, had had over 300 requests to see the manuscripts Mm -hmm. that are documented in the film or on the website. And when they say, look, sorry, no, that book doesn't exist, the people actually get really upset with them and say, so that means you won't let us see it. (laughs) Yeah, they just won't believe. But the actual book itself, because it's now part of a travelling, well, I suppose historical how it was done, was a children's battered book aged and gussied up by Julia Fair so that it looked like the part that people wouldn't believe them. Mm-hmm. So people would not believe that it was faked. So there's also the books and the video packs and film canisters and all that sort of thing that were found in the movie. Once again, that was fair that basically dressed them to look like the part of things that had been abandoned in the forest for a year. Then we go on to the actual town of Burkittsville that is on the Blair site. So Blair never existed. And they also made up the the amount of backstory they've gone into to give depth to the whole thing is just astounding. They've made up people who founded the town and it's all inserted into Google so people can look it up and go, oh, yes, this is real. And there's documents to back it up. Oh, my goodness. So there are no limestone deposits. There is no Black Hills Forest for anyone to disappear into. There is no earlier town called Blair. There are no missing children. And apparently the true history of Burkittsville was two farmers. That's it. (laughs) Two farmers. (laughs) Wow. And it's it's really a, a sleepy little charming town. Crossroads Hamlet where Civil War wounded were treated during the Battle of Crampton Gap. 
That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this lady Julia has never been to Burkittsville. She said that she can't because if she went there, they'd kill her. Uh, a local historian actually abused her, saying, "You're ruining the history of my county." Because mm. she's created all this fake stuff. Mm-hmm. There are documentaries on YouTube as well with regard to historians talking about this mythology of of this witch too. So anyone doing digging now, I think, would also be very confused because the people that are actually talking about it are very convincing. And I have to remind myself that these must be actors Mm -hmm. who are playing the role, Mm. but goodness gracious me, they're good. Well, I'll tell you how they even did that. But the name Blair actually came from one of the director's youngest sister who went to Blair High School. Mm -hmm. So that's where they pulled the name from. I I find if there's a little bit of truth in something, it makes it more believable. Mm -hmm. She'd also invented a land grant for Nathaniel Blair, who the, the town was named after. After. And and what she would used to do, she'd go and get historical documents, study them, and then recreate them so they look like the real thing. Mm-hmm. But then she'd age them, probably soak them in coffee and, and, and simple things like that. She's even got like deed names and numbers on them. But a lot of that is her research that makes them really authentic. And even poor old Rustin Parr, sounds like like an old fellow sitting in the corner rusting. Now, that was based on a a real person and he was an old hermit. She found a birth certificate for him, but they think it's actually a a fake birth certificate and she has his death warrant and she created the character based on those real bits of information. As again, I'm saying, you know, they've got a little bit of truth in there Mm -hmm. to, to back up what was really happening. She said, the truth is when you look at history, it's interesting and it makes the story full. My problem was keeping the parameters of the believable but outside the parameters of the factual. Mm -hmm. So she had to try and find that balance Mm -hmm. where it was almost real but not facts. Yep, yep. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about how it was actually filmed. And I found this fascinating because I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. Well, I was doing a lot of acting. I've now directed all my energies to you and me, Renata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this podcast. And this podcast and a few other little bits and pieces yeah, that might be going on in the background. Just a few. All right. So there was an article on Daniel Merrick that I have here. So it was a first-person movie. So it was filmed by the people and them telling their story Mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. Now, they made out, a lot of people made out that it was a very low-budget film and that it was very rough and not much effort had gone. they just thrown it together. That's not actually the case. They spent two years putting this together. Making it look rough. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So when they finally got down, because they had to create the whole world and then they had to create like a storyboard of, but they actually didn't know how they were going to finish it, which I'll I'll explain in a little bit. Now they had to find the actors who were willing to do Mm -hmm. what it would take to film this. So there were 10 to 15 people involved in it. It took about six weeks sleeping on couches on the floor it took eight days and there was a 24-7 operation, right? Eight days, 24-7. So the actors were working the cameras. They were filming each other all the time as if they were really there. Now, 
they tried to have as little interaction with the actors as possible. They've pushed them out into the bush. Oh, bush, sorry, forest. Mm -hmm. Not Australia over there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... They would give them GPS location. So they, the first one, they'd get a GPS location. So they would use their compasses or whatever they had to find the uh, locations marked with flags or milk crates. They'd have some sort of sign there so they knew that was the spot. Now, of course, the audience wouldn't have known that. Yes. But where they would find those items, they would have food there for the actors and directing notes. Now, the directing notes were put into film canisters. So that's how they got the direction. They didn't actually see the crew or the director. The director would give them something in the tin and say, now, I want you to work on this. I want you to work on that. I want you to do this for the character, that for the character. But some of the things that they did was that they actually gave them conflicting information. So they might say, Heather, I want you to be really nice to Josh. Josh, Mm -hmm. And Josh might get, I want you to really push Heather around and be horrible to her. Mm -hmm. So he wouldn't get the, oh, you're going to, you know, Heather's going to be nice. Mm -hmm. So they had to sit in their character and react as their character with Mm -hmm. the information the director had given them. So as I said, the actors were forced to camp in the woods. Now, at night time, they would settle down into their sleeping bags. They'd have their cameras ready with them by their side. But that was when the crew would come out and start shaking their tent. Oh, my gosh. So they then had to react to whatever was happening. Oh, my goodness. Um, And Or they'd hear a baby start crying. And the poor actors, like, they're getting exhausted out there in the forest. So they had to decide how they were going to react to everything that was going. And the the, the poor buggers, they'd just get comfortable in their sleeping bag and they actually started to find it became annoying because at that stage they knew – that they had to act. Mm -hmm. So their fear level at that stage was not high. Um, They just wanted to go to sleep. So they had to push themselves to react to that as Mm -hmm. annoying. I like uh, one of the guys who said uh, um, his character got killed off first. So the first thing he did is he went took a really long shower and got stoned and went to Denny's. Yeah, back to reality. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, this is Joshua Leonard, who's one of the actors. Um, He said that apparently poor Heather's parents were worried because they thought they were taking her out into the woods to make a snuff movie. All right. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) But he said that tensions got high, they did get hungry, they did get uncomfortable, and they did start to hurt each other's feelings Mm -hmm. because they, they had to be very raw. So they came up with a safe word. And that safe word was taco. So if anyone said taco, they knew that the other person had gone too far. Mm -hmm. They actually regretted that by day three because it just reminded them how hungry they were. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, because of all of this, because they were forced to feel the pain and feel the the frustration, it made it very real as characters. Mm, Yes. And then you've really got two of them left there because one of them Dies. One of, yeah, yeah, so one of them dies. Yeah, or, he went or, off and yeah. got stoned and <laughs> went to Denny's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably goes off in the story and tries to look for help mm. and that leaves just the two of them there. Yeah. But he did say that he felt really bad about the, the final scene because apparently he attacked Heather in one of the scenes because he was just so frustrated himself is that he, he 
really abused the crap out of her. Mm-hmm. But once again, it came across as a fantastic scene because mm-hmm. it was so real. Mm-hmm. Now, their distributor, which was Artisan, which is not the, the Hex one because mm-hmm. that, that's all about a reference to Hex and Witch. That's mm-hmm. why they, they use that name in the movie. Mm-hmm. They really played up the disappearance of the actors to the point that they probably would have preferred if they had died because <laughs> they didn't want them to surface. Mm. It, it sold the story so much better because they weren't visible. Mm. I, when I was watching one part of a documentary that was on about it, they hired helicopters to fly overhead as if they've, they're going out searching for mm. them and the, the whole thing. They, mm. they took care of every single detail. Yep. So part of the marketing campaign that they used was to actually have posters of the actors distributed at the screenings as missing people. Mm -hmm. They were saying they think that they pissed a lot of people off, (laughs) which probably is understandable. Apparently there was one gorgeous copper who made contact with them and said they'll help them find the missing kids and they had to explain to him that it was all fake and I just I thought that's awful that's really awful so the there was no script that most of the movie was improvised and as I said their their only notes were sent through the film canisters with the the director pitting them against each other most of the time. The directors themselves, they just wanted to probably get as much footage as they could of these guys out in the rough and being terrified and, you know, they'd be setting up the next terror for the next day and mm-hmm. uh, the, their coordinates would lead them to where they've got to go. But they they sort of had to work out how to kill them off now that they've got them stumbling around the forest starving and ready to kill each other. (laughs) They knew that they didn't want to have a freaking alien come out of the woodwork or a really bad witch costume or anything like that. So that's why they've used that effect of let's leave it up to your imagination. So even the actors themselves didn't know that they were being led to their death scene. So the coordinates have taken them to a house, mm-hmm. right? Which they've they've entered. And they they said they felt really horrible for the poor actors because they they just didn't know. And Heather was left at the end, as you were saying. So they've yep. killed off various people. One of the the male actors was saying that he just remembers feeling a sense of relief when one of the producers actually knocked him to the ground and he wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's just in the dark and I think he was in the basement probably. They've tackled him, knocked him to the ground and they've just whispered, get up, go stand in the corner, go stand in the corner to get him out of the road mm-hmm. for that scene. So the the very raw emotions again <laughs> in that sort of moment. You'll also notice there's bad lighting throughout, a jittery camera work, yes. all of that. Yep. There's no sound because normally in a movie you've got music to amplify mm-hmm. the feelings and the, set the mood. There's nothing mm-hmm. because it's just meant to be found footage. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, sheer brilliance. Yep. Absolutely. So the imperfection of the filming and the lack of sound and everything is what made it so perfectly real. Mm -hmm. So poor old Heather was left in the haunted house by herself, terrified and screaming. And as you said, the camera drops to the ground and they are never seen again. That is true. They weren't even allowed to go to the movie premiere. Oh, no. (laughs) 
I would be really upset about that. Oh. That would be a moment I would be living for. I've been to one movie premiere in my life and there was a red carpet and damn it, I walked it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was really good. Yeah. But look, it, it had a great influence on other movies. But once this first person sort of filming had been done, it couldn't be done again because the mystery had been exposed, so to speak. Mm. So people then got suspicious if anything started to use that sort of technique. But there was another one that was quite successful. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is, Renata? No, I did see a lot of movies come out of that time that had that whole, I'm not holding the camera still and it would give you vertigo if you yep. watched it and all of this sort of stuff. But I don't know what Come other- on, listeners. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I don't know what other movie would have been. Oh, we've actually successful. watched it on Ghost Hunters React on YouTube. And oh. I think I made some sort of comment that somebody farted. Oh, those- Paranormal uh, inactivity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where they, where, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's where they've used static cameras. Yes. So that gets rid of that whole thing because a lot of people did have bad reactions to the Blair Witch Project because of the the way it was filmed made you feel nauseous. So yes. people were stumbling out of the theatre and vomiting, not yep. because they were, well, they may have been terrified, but because it was- Causing vertigo. Yes. And yes. you would have been one of those people. I would have. So, yes, par- Paranormal Activity, that was one of the major ones. They did try to do a, a sequel mm-hmm. to The Blair Witch and it was a total disaster because, once again, you can't film it the same way they had. It's already known it's a fake, so nobody's mm-hmm. going to really take much note of it. But where are the actors now? This is yes. always fascinating where for me. Where are the actors now? Have they resurfaced? Well, Williams is still working as an actor, uh, is focused primarily on his middle school guidance counselling, but he's actually had a, a decent career from it, I think. Joshua Leonard uh, has continued to act steadily, appearing in shows like True Detective and Bates Motel. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to love where Heather went. Poor Heather, who was so traumatised at the end. Oh, where did she go? No longer acts. Mm-hmm. And she found a new career, growing medical marijuana. <laughs> Perfection. That, that's perfect. Mm-mm. Perfect for her. So I love this quote from the movie. So it's pretty easy to figure out, but the truth is that people want to believe there are forces in the world that are acting on our lives that we have no control over. Now, that was Michael Manello, one of the producers of the film. Mm-hmm. And this is what we find as paranormal investigators, that people don't want to hear the truth sometimes Mm -hmm. and they're happy being, as we call it, special. Mm -hmm. So... Or that they don't have to take on responsibility for what is happening. Which you like to call spiritual bypassing as well. That's true, yeah. Yes, the spirits made me do it. It Mm -hmm. wasn't me that did that. Mm -hmm. Um, The spirits are making me act irresponsibly, uh, violently. It's not me doing that. Mm -hmm. But, Renata, is this a true haunting? Absolutely not. Yay! I think it's the first time I've said that in, in 20-odd episodes. <laughs> We're not even going to have maybe. It's not. But is it going to create a haunting? Is it going to create something because of the um, the energy that people are feeding into it? Absolutely, it has created something. It's created a story that exists and has been existing for 20-odd years because yeah. of this movie that has now captured the attention. 
and the uh, inspiration of people who are looking for that that hook that that thing i mean this is exciting to watch for anyone who is into true crime and we know how true crime tends to bleed over into the paranormal the subject matter is often very very similar or liked by the the, the same type of people it, it it is something that is intriguing it it sparks our interest we want to know more mm. we want to solve the problem and this was an interesting case for us to look at because we knew that it, it's based on a furphy, as we mm-hmm. like to call it, but there is still so much to learn from the fact that this gorgeous woman faked so much stuff and how easy it was for her to get that inserted into history, as I do my inverted commas. Mm-hmm. And they always say with history, it's always told through the eyes of the victor, not the victim. So history can it even be trusted when it's an actual historical event that's happened. Mm. It'll always be skewed. So as investigators, we've got to be aware that sometimes there will be people who will fake things because they so desperately want it to be real themselves. That is so true. And we have come across that on a number of occasions. We have. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of True Hauntings. Don't forget that to leave us a fantastic review if you've enjoyed it. I think you can do that on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube, where you can find us with our series, Ghost Hunters React, and more importantly, the True Hauntings Companion, where you'll be able to see us, see our beautiful faces, see the glorious Renata, she's giggling, and just get a little recap on some of the stories that we have done so far with some visuals. Until next time, see you on the dark side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.